So um, in Ocala, um, there is a development. It's actually, this is a great test to see if you're a real Floridian or not. It's in Ocklawaha. So if you know where that is, the big bustling burg. Um, two people, good. All right, you've been the south one. Good. Um, but uh, so there's this development that was built, and somebody must have lost their shirt on their de this deal. There are just miles and miles of developed roads. I mean, it goes for miles. There are just roads that branch off of it. There are driveways that have been paved for like acre lot lines. There are power lines run, and not a single house. I mean, they must have been planning thousands of people to move to this area. I don't know if they were early advocates of global warming. They thought this was going to be beachfront property in the middle of the state. I don't know what they were thinking, but it never came to fruition. And this area is just uh, desolated now. It is just, there's no one there. And so in my early 20s, probably late college, kind of early career time, I used to really love to go out there late at night with friends. I don't know. I felt like I had to get more of a response out of that. But that's okay. Um, it's not a normal thing to do. But um, we'd go out there late at night. And because it was just weird, and you drive around, you could get lost out there. And it's just kind of fun to freak yourself out a little bit. But also, it was really quiet. You had to kind of four-wheel back on your way into there. Back before I had a sedan and still had some manhood left in me. Um, and so we'd go back there, hang out, drive around. And, and I remember there being out there one night. We were standing there. We'd pulled down one of these um, driveways. We were just sitting out there talking. Jason, were you there this night? I feel, no, okay. Uh, I felt like he might have been. So we're sitting out there talking. We're looking up in the sky. And it's one of those perfect nights, crystal clear nights, stars everywhere. And we see this thing flying. Now, the rational side of me knows that Ocala National Forest, it's a bombing range. McDill Air Force Base isn't far away. There are experimental aircraft all around. But it's the middle of the night. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And it just starts freaking us out because it's like it's there. And then all of a sudden it flies the one into the sky and stops. And it goes like vertical fashion than anything should and goes back to the other side. And so we're already a little bit freaking out. Now, we'd probably watch too much X-Files around then. That was like Stranger Things for you who are a little bit younger. Um, and so all of these things were kind of already working in our mind. But we were so we just kind of decided, no, we're going to be cool. We're going to stay here and hang out. But something finally sent us over the edge. We heard, heard like, chuk, 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 chuk. And here in the middle of nowhere, a black semi with no lights on and no markings comes pulling down the road. And we hightailed it out of there. We've never gone back again. I don't ever want to see it again. We we're just going to pretend it wasn't there. That was a fear that drove me away. That was a healthy fear because I'm sure something weird was going on. Probably not. Someone probably was just living there. But fear has that opportunity. It gives us the chance to flee or to stay, to fight or flee. This is a normal thing. We are wired up with a radar internal to every one of us that fear drives us to. A fight or flight response. We learned this early on. And we're wired for that. Fear, in its healthiest sense, keeps us safe. It wires us up. It's a radar that's out there that says something's not quite right. We should either stay here and stand our ground, or we need to take off. And more often than not in my life, that's taking off to live another day. That's why most of us are still alive. We have a healthy fear, a radar built into us. Today, we're going to spend some time with a group of people, a group of people who experienced something unexpected, something that caused them the fear. In fact, the story says they were terrified. But they had a very different response than fighting or fleeing. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And I'd invite you to follow along in your Bible or your bulletin. It's there for you if you'd like to. Uh, but before we look at it, um, one of the things I think it's helpful to know is who wrote this. Uh, this account of the birth narrative of Jesus and these shepherds was written by Luke. And Luke uh, was a physician. He was, is a historian. He is a detailed guy. He wanted to create a very accurate account of what happened throughout Jesus's life. In fact, if you go back to Luke chapter one, if you go to the beginning of this book, he says the purpose of him writing this letter to his friend Theophilus, which if you ever want to name your kids something, don't do that. Um, that would be a terrible thing to do in kindergarten to write Theophilus every day. Um, but he says he's going to write this letter to him so that he could be certain of the teaching that they've had that it was true. He wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's gone back to the eyewitnesses, the people that were there to find out exactly what happened. I love that Luke does this. He takes the time to examine it. 
He is a detail person. He is a clarity person. He is a history person. And he wants us to have an exact account. He's not one to embellish. He's not one to add a lot of extra details. He wants what really happened, which is partially why this story is so surprising, because it's fantastical in many ways. It's surprising. It's shocking what happens. So here we are in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These last few weeks here, we've been trying to take a look at this birth story, this story that can become so common that we hear year after year around Christmas time, the birth of Jesus. But in the midst of this story, so many curious, uncommon, unlikely people were invited in. And these were real breathing people, just like you and I that lived in a different time, but they lived in a real place, in a real time in history, in a real city, in real villages with real people around them. And we see this story through different eyes. We've taken a look at Simeon and Anna, this older couple who are waiting their whole lives to see something that they are promised. We see Mary, this teenage mom who ends up being the mother of Jesus. We see Joseph, who's pledged to be married to Mary, and, and she has a baby and is pregnant out of wedlock, and he stands by her. Last week, we visited with the Magi, these mysterious visitors from the east, and today we come to see the shepherds. You see, these shepherds were real people with a real job, and they actually had a really hard job. This is a tough job. Sheep take a ton of work. Sheep are not easy animals to take care of. Sheep aren't the kind of animals you just sort of let go, uh, and like um, baited fish, although I don't know why we can't keep one alive. Some people can. Um, but sheep take a lot of work. You need to lead them out the pasture. You need to show them every morning where food and water is. If not, they'll die. You need to bring them back in every night to protect them. Um, they take a lot of work. They have a tendency to wander off. You have to go after them. We see stories and hear that where they have to be brought back in to be chased down. Uh, they're vulnerable. They don't have any means of protecting themselves. There's no talons or anything like this. Sheep are those nice, soft, cuddly animals. We see at the petting zoos, they're soft. They have no way to protect themselves. They're very vulnerable, not only to people that would want to steal them. This is a livelihood for people, so they're worth money. This is something people could take from them. But they're also vulnerable to wild animals. So shepherds had to be ready to defend them. Shepherds often had uh, tools with them, a staff to be able to lead them as well as protect them, maybe a sling to be able to protect these animals. Uh, these were tough guys who were ready to act, and they had to be night after night. David, um, who is in the line of Jesus, who was talked about in the Old Testament, he was a king. He actually recalls some of his times as a shepherd back then, and he said he had to fight off lions and bears. Like, this was a big job, a dangerous job, a job not for weak people. It had to be people that were ready to act. Talking to uh, many of you who have served in the military, especially in recent deployments, it sounds a lot like that, where you have to be ready at any moment to be able to, to act. There's a lot of sitting around and waiting 
but you have to always be ready. There's that uh, over surge of adrenaline that's always sitting there and it's wearying. It's exhausting to live in that perpetual state of readiness and never knowing what's coming. And I picture that's where these shepherds are this night. And here we find them on a night like any other night. They're out in the dark. They're together, ready, waiting to defend their flock. And something amazing happens. The sky opens and an angel appears to them. Now, one of the fun things about having extra time to study this and to be able to do these things is every time something new pops up, to be able to go back to these stories and kind of comb through them. And for some reason, I've always pictured this angel sort of appearing at a distance, like an angel popped into the sky while they were sitting there. But that's not what seems to happen. Uh, the Greek word here is ephistomy, which means sudden and near. It says that the angel showed up in their midst. He was proximate. He was in the middle of where they were. Out of nowhere, as they're together, an angel appears right near them. I don't know why, but that was a detail that struck me. So this angel comes and draws near to them. And they're surrounded by brightness. They're surrounded by light. And this light is more than just a mega candle power. This is more than just a super bright flashlight. This light is the glory of God. The word used here is doxa, this full radiance of God's glory. If you were here earlier this year, Jim Keller taught on this, this idea of the splendor of God, the doxa of God. And this is what's surrounding them as this angel appears suddenly in their midst. And the angel moves quickly to assuage their fears because they responded like we would, or at least like we should. They responded with fear. They were terrified. These were tough dudes, and they were terrified. And I picture these tough guys standing there with each other and looking to the left and right to make sure that they're all seeing this. Because if not, if you're by yourself, you chalk this up to a bad lamb chop, something weird that night. But there's a group of people to be able to back up this story, and they're all seeing this, and they are terrified. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Because the angel's bringing good news, not just to them, but to all the people, to every one of us. And if that wasn't enough to get their attention, this angel showing up in their midst, surrounded by a light, the sky then opens and a multitude of angels, a huge number of angels comes out praising God and their witnesses to this. And what begins with fear turns into a group of unlikely people being the first to bear witness to the greatest event in human history. They go to the manger to see this baby born who is good news to all the world. I love this story. I love so much about this story. I love that it's real people doing a real ordinary job and that God shows up right in their midst, right in the midst of that. And there's some really good news that God chose shepherds to do this. And we're going to look at that tonight. I want to tell you a couple of reasons that it's good news that the shepherds were chosen, why it's good news for us today. First is this. In this time, shepherds were considered unclean. The idea of uncleanness is something we don't know much about, but this was a really important part of Jewish life. Uh, the division between clean and unclean was fundamental for Israelites. They were commanded by the law to be physically clean, to be ritually and ceremonially clean, having com uh, commanded by the law to offer the right sacrifices and been through the correct ceremonies to become clean once they became unclean. And they needed to be morally clean as well. When people or things became unclean, they had to be washed to be considered clean again. And this usually involved a sacrifice of some sort. Um, oftentimes it would have been a lamb or a sheep, just like the animals these shepherds were washed day after day after day. The shepherds were considered unclean because they had daily contact with carcasses of animals and came into contact, however incidental, with all sorts of unclean animals. You see, common unclean animals of the time would have included spiders, flies, bugs, rats, mice, things that you would encounter when you're living outside, shepherding herds of sheep around. A dead rat was not something to be overlooked. It was carefully taken out and buried. 
it's a distinction that we don't think much about today, but this was strongly enforced in those days. And it had solid medical reasoning behind it in the days before refrigeration and the days before pest control. Because the shepherds lived in a perpetual state of unclean, they wouldn't have been allowed into the temple to go before God without doing something first to become clean. But here's the really good news. God shows up in the midst of their uncleanness. It doesn't say that God waited for them to go sacrifice an animal to before the angel appeared to them. It doesn't say they had to go do anything. It says, while they were out in the fields, an angel appeared before them and brought to them this good news. And he invited them to enter into the true temple of God, this manger where a baby Jesus was born. It's incredible news that he walked right into the midst of it. And tonight, some of you may be here feeling unclean. Maybe it's the things you've done. Maybe it's the things you're doing. Maybe it's the things that have been done to you. I want to let you know the good news is this. God is not waiting for you to clean yourself up. God walks right into the midst of whatever is going on in your life and invites you in. That's good news indeed. Second piece of good news is this. In the first century, it seems also that shepherds, specifically hireling shepherds, people that were paid to watch over another flock of sheep, they had a rather unsavory reputation. Earlier on in history, shepherds seemed to have a good reputation. It was an upstanding job. It was a job that many of the founding fathers of Israel had, um, but times have changed and reputations have shifted. Jeremiah, who is a historian then, cites rabbinic sources to the effect that most of the time, shepherds were considered dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce of the land. Because they were often months at a time without supervision, they were often accused of stealing some of the increase of the flock. Consequently, the pious were warned not to buy wool, milk, or kids from shepherds on the assumption that it was stolen property. Shepherds were not allowed to fulfill a judicial office or be admitted in court as witnesses. They were not viewed as trustworthy to be even witnesses in court. An ancient commentary on Psalm 23.2 reads, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Philo, who was a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher at Alexandria, who studied and wrote around the time of Jesus, he wrote about looking after sheep and goats. He said, Such pursuits are held mean and inglorious. Shepherds were unsavory characters at this time. They were not viewed upon highly. But God meets them in the midst of their poor reputation, and he includes them as the people he would later be seen. You see, later on in life, this baby Jesus is sitting there in the manger that they get to witness. Later on, one of the things he's accused of, and it's one of my favorite things he's ever called, is friend of sinners. Because he spent so much time with the brokenhearted. He spent so much time with the downtrodden. He spent so much time with those that seemed so far away from the teachings of the day that he was accused of being one of them. But one of the incredible things about Jesus he was never marred by that. He would always be able to go in no matter where it was, and people became clean because of him. People's reputations were changed because of him. He was never sullied by it. He was perfect. He was this incredible man of God. He was God himself in this world, and he invited people in, and he invited sinners in, and he invited us in. Maybe you're here today, and you think that God wouldn't want to be seen with someone like you. Maybe you think he wouldn't want to hang out at the kinds of places you go to, Maybe he wouldn't even want to sit next to you because of the reputation you have or the things that you're into. Maybe you just feel so outside of all this because you're here, because it's family night and you need to be here, and it just feels so isolating that God would never want to have anything to do with you. I want you to know that Jesus loves the broken and those with bad reputations. He was the friend of sinners. You're in good company. You're actually the reason he came. He's the reason we celebrate tonight. The third good piece of news in the midst of this story of why God came to the shepherds is this. Shepherds were common like us. Shepherds were common, and God made them uncommon. 
Most of us live pretty ordinary lives. We get up and we go to work and we come home. We have good days. We have bad days. We go to work. We take care of our families and we do this day after day after day. And these shepherds were no different. They got up. They took the sheep out. They came home. They defended the sheep. Some days they came home with all the sheep and that was probably a good day. Some days they didn't come home with all the sheep. That probably wasn't as good of a day. And they did this day after day after day. They got up and they did their work. They were common. They weren't the religious elite. They weren't those set apart to spend time studying God. They weren't the ones who would have been most expected to be the first viewers, the first hearers of this incredible message. They were common, but God set them apart to be uncommon. He chose them to be messengers, the first witnesses of this good news. Maybe you're here today and you just feel invisible, that God would never even notice you. Even if he did, he couldn't possibly have a purpose for you. I want you to know this. God cares about you. Not, not only does he notice you, but he likes you. One of the things I've been so struck this year as I've spent time in study is that God actually wants good things for you. I don't know why that's so surprising. Sometimes I think we just think that God wants life to be good enough or God wants life to be to look good, but God actually wants good things. He has purpose and plans and dreams for us. And I'll tell you, you probably think that God couldn't possibly make your dreams come true. And that may be true because maybe your dreams aren't big enough. Because I bet those shepherds never woke up on a day and said, hey, you know what, tonight, guys, I think we're going to see the sky open up and see an army of angels come before us praising the Lord. I doubt any of them woke up and said, you know what, today is the day we're going to be able to be the first messengers of the good news that God came to the world. His purposes and his dreams are often so much bigger for us than we could ever imagine. God wants you. God has purpose and plans for you. So the shepherds have this visit, and then they went to the manger and when they saw Jesus, when they saw, they had to share. You see, everyone who comes into contact with Jesus is changed. Every time. You can't help it. When you come into contact with Jesus himself, you are changed. And we see that time and time again, especially in this birth story. Simeon was this old man who had been promised that he would be alive until he saw the Messiah come. And he did, and he beheld him, and he said, here he is. He fulfilled his life. Anna, day after day, went to the temple, this older woman, praying, waiting for the one to come, and she saw him. Mary's life was upended when she became a teenage mother to the son of God himself. I imagine her life looked pretty different than the day before that angel showed up at her doorstep. Joseph becomes the adoptive father of Jesus himself. His life is forever changed. The Magi had to go home a different way after they came and visited Jesus because their life was no longer safe the way they were going to go back. And today the shepherds are no different. You see in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, though the shepherds were unclean, though they may have been unsavory, though they were common, they did have one really incredible thing going for them. Last week, as we looked at the Magi, one of the incredible things about the Magi is they spent time around kings. They knew what a king looked like. They spent time advising kings right before they'd come to visit the child Jesus that says they were in the temple with King Herod. And they saw what power looked like. They saw what a king looked like. They knew it. And when they saw this child Jesus, they recognized the king in him, and they dropped to their knees and worshiped him. Well, the shepherds were wired up in a really unique way to see something that most other people would miss. You see, the shepherds, day after day, they took care of the sheep. And many believed that the sheep that the shepherds were taking care of were the sheep that were used as a sacrifice in the temple that was not very far away. It says that they were in fields nearby. And these sheep, these lambs, 
that were sacrificed in the temple to make people clean were called sacrificial lambs. They would see these day after day, and they were uniquely wired to recognize a sacrificial lamb. And so I picture when these shepherds go into the manger for the first time and they see Jesus, they have the right eyes to see the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, the one who was promised to come to make everything right. They were wired up in a unique way to see him. And when they did, they fell to their knees in worship and they were forever changed. They went and they had to share the good news. They had to go tell anybody who they would listen of what had just happened. And it said people were amazed by what they heard. On that day, they saw the lamb of God. They would have been looking for the one who had come to do this early or on. People had been hearing John the Baptist who had been baptizing people out nearby saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had no choice but to respond. Because when you encounter Jesus himself, your life is different. You have no choice but to respond. It's not something you choose to do. It happens. That's why I'm so excited that next year, every week of 2018, we're going to be spending time with Jesus. Jesus himself to get back to the basics of all this, to get back to the person that changed everything. We're going to spend every week here on Sunday learning about the one who upended this world, who changed everything, the God who drew near so that we could know him. The good news is that no matter where we start, no matter what the situation that God walks into our life, whether we're unclean, whether we're unsavory, whether we're common, still invisible, that he came to take it away, to make us clean forever so that we could have life to the fullest with him, not just a boring life, but life to the full. This was especially good news to me. If you had told me uh, when I was in high school that someday I'd be up here sharing this good news on a Christmas Eve, um, on a good day I would have laughed, and on a bad day I probably wouldn't have said very nice things. Um, you see, I, I felt so unclean. The decisions I was making, the choice I was making, I felt so far away from ever being able to have things made right. I couldn't imagine a God who would ever care about using someone like me. I felt unsavory. Why would anyone want to spend time with someone who was doing the things that I would do, that's making the decisions I was making, that would that would know the real me and want to spend time with me. And, and, and in those moments of honesty, and you know those moments, those moments late at night when you're laying there and it's quiet and you're face-to-face -face with yourself. And I felt so common, so on the outside looking in. I felt invisible. I felt like if God could use someone, it would be someone like me, but way more athletic, way more something than I was, way more gifted. But God walked right in. He didn't wait for the mess to get cleaned up. He came right into the midst of the, my mess and said, hey, you. And I will tell you, life has never looked the same since. It's not perfect. Life has not always lived on the top of a mountain, but it is different because I've come into contact with Jesus himself. I'm going to tell you that we're in good company. We're in good company with these shepherds. We celebrate today that God has brought good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all of them, not just for us, not just for those in this room, not for just for those who believe, but for all the people. He meets us right where we are, in the midst of our uncleanness, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our ordinary life. And he invites us to be clean and to have life through him, to be uncommon because of him, and to share this good news with all the world. Let's be sharers of this good news to all of the world through every aspect of our lives. Let's pray.